For those who don't know, my name is Mike Strobeck, and around here sometimes they affectionately refer to me as Dr. Mike. Now, for those people who don't know me, you can calm down right away. The doctor is not in theology, okay? So everybody can just take a deep sigh. I have a favorite story about theologians, and it goes something like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and through theologians, it became words again. So we're going to be talking about Jesus coming in the flesh, but hopefully we won't turn it into words. I said good morning, and I also want to wish you a Merry Christmas. To me, the best way of celebrating Christ is in his house with his people on Christmas Day. There's no better way that I can think of to celebrate Christmas than being here with you guys. So we've got some slides. You know, I forgot to mention we're celebrating Christ's birthday today, but there's also another celebration, lesser known, and that's going to be with Barbara Stone. It's her 75th birthday. Barbara, raise your hand so everybody can see. Yeah, <laughs> there's Michael, her husband, going like this. And I believe it's their 53rd wedding anniversary, 54th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Does anybody else have a birthday today on Christmas? No? Nobody wants to be embarrassed. All right. Well, let's see if we can go through these slides. First, let me turn it on. Okay, so this is... The youth will not be meeting tonight as it's Christmas. They will also not be meeting next Sunday, which is New Year's Day, but they'll resume on January 8th. Okay, so no youth meeting today or on the 1st, but January 8th. Discipleship ministry, if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, we do have that program here at Calvary Chapel. Let somebody know, and we can work through that eight-week course. Christmas Eve service, you're too late. Christmas morning, I'm talking to the choir. And then if you want to help at the Connect area, they have a way that every... Here, here's my feeling. If you come to this church and you're a Christian, you've got to be involved in some ministry. Now, that doesn't mean here at the church, but every Christian has a duty to find a ministry. And we offer a chance, if you don't have one, to help here at the church. Family movie night with Jerry, January 6th, 6.30 p.m., We've gone to them. They're excellent movies. Strongly encourage you to go. There's a marriage class beginning Monday, January 9th. So it, even if you don't have a bad marriage, if you just want to improve your marriage, a good way to begin. A few more messages. This is the end of December, so if you plan on giving to the church, best time to do it would be now if you want to count it on this year's tax returns. If you decide to mail it in, make sure the letter is dated no later than December 31st, and you write on the check that this is intended to go into the budget for 2022. The office is going to be closed this week, so if you have an emergent, you have to talk with Dr. Ben. Nobody else will do. You're welcome to call or email Pastor Ben. I said, doctor, I think I just made him into a theologian. That, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Pastor Ben, but... If it can be handled by somebody else, please send Angela an email or call Angela, and she'll take care of the other things that 
don't need Dr. Ben. And uh, next Sunday, it's going to be the regular schedule, 9 and 11 o'clock. There will be no Sunday service. It will be self-serve. Classroom number one will be open. Did I miss anything? No? All right. If we could have my first slide. So after you read this slide, all of you probably have one burning question. And I want to answer that question right now. Yes, I do know how to spell indescribable. Unfortunately, my spell checker doesn't. So the second letter to the Corinthians ends with this verse. Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. So we're going to be studying in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to open it up if you have your Bible, and you should, to chapter 2. We're going to be going through verses 21 to 38. So the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, 21 through 38. And the title of the sermon is God Incarnate. Jesus Christ. Now, that's not a word a lot of people use all the time. Incarnate comes from a Latin verb meaning to make into flesh. So God is being made into flesh, coming down to be with his people. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. It's said in other Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's quoting from Isaiah 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and shall bear a son, give birth, Give him flesh, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates, God is with us. Now, we don't call Jesus Emmanuel, so a lot of people believe that once God returns to earth at his second coming, and he's with us forever, that's when we'll start calling him Emmanuel. John also talks about Jesus coming in the flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as on the begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And here we're going to pick up in the third gospel that talks about Jesus' coming. And perhaps this gospel is the most complete version of why we can truthfully say that Jesus came in the flesh. We'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. So as is the custom in Calvary Chapel, if you can... Would you please stand as we read from God's word? If you have a medical problem or are tired, you get no extra points for standing. Your reward is not greater in heaven if you stand either. So this is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days passed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the wound shall be called holy to the Lord. And to, the, to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry him for the custom of the law, to carry out, rather, for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, 
Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to that end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, of the daughter Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day, serving with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please teach us what we need to know and make us what we need to be. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So you may be seated. So let's go back over what we read and see if we can get a little bit more information from it. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that we don't know when Jesus Christ was born. We don't have his actual birth date. Up here is a partial list of when some people say it might have been. Some people try to tie it into a feast of Israel. The traditional December 25th, early church father Clement thought it was mid-November. And so I decided to go on a quest to find out what's the most likely date for Christmas. And I studied in depth all these different dates, and I came up with one thing. One thing I ended up after all that studying. That was a headache. I don't know. And the question becomes, is it important what day he was born? Or is the important part that he was born? After all, none of the Gospels actually record the date he was born. So they must not have thought it was that important. But what is important is the context in which Jesus came. What was the geopolitical arena like when he showed up? You can see in the purple, that's where the Roman Empire was. And I think I get a pointer. Yeah, so the purple extends all the way through here from Great Britain down to Egypt. Where Jesus came was in Jerusalem right about there. So you can see it was on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, but at the same time, it was on a major trade route if you were going from Egypt by land to Greece. And so there were many people, many foreigners going through the area at that time. And when Christianity began to spread, it was because of the roads that the Romans built and the language that the Greeks had spread through the area. So if you want to know more about the context, A good book to read is The Triumph of Christianity, which details what it was like. Religion had been transformed from a monotheistic to a polytheistic. There were many gods, and those gods that were there were immortal. They cheated, committed adultery, and they were non-predictable. You couldn't believe them what they said. But the most important part about it is the gods did not care about the people. And as a result of that, The worshipers didn't care about each other. And that was manifested by the fact that slavery and infanticide, killing infants, babies, was so widespread. Now, it's not just a religious, it was also a political 
that people believed that it was the gods that made Rome so great, even though they were fallible, that if you were against the gods of Rome, you were also against the Roman Empire. You were taking a political stance as well as a religious stance. And a lot of times men can take a lot of suffering if they know what it's for. And so a Roman citizen's hope, this is what was written on coffins. I was not, which means before I was born, I was not existing. I was, for a certain period of time, you were on this earth. I am not, I died after this short existence, and I care not, because after I'm dead, there's nothing. It was a hopeless situation if you were a Roman. And what about the Jews at that time? God had been silent for 400 years. Did he forget about his covenant with Israel? Did God die? Did he run away? Was he not interested in you anymore? Did he lie to us just like the Roman gods had lied to their people? And so it was a very sad time. So we're going to go through the Gospel of Luke. We'll go through it verse by verse and see if we can answer any of these questions. So Luke 2, verse 21. And when the eight days had passed before his circumcision, he was then called Jesus. What happened with circumcision is you would bring the baby boy to the rabbi, and you'd do this at eight days. The interesting fact is the coagulation system when you're born is not complete. It takes about eight days for that coagulation system to mature. And so God had preordained that it would be eight days in which you have your circumcision. Coincidence? I'll let you decide. So you bring him to the rabbi, and the rabbi before the circumcision says, what have you decided to name this child? Up to that point, the child had no name. Well, the angel had told Mary and Joseph what to name it, and says at that time, his name was Jesus. And he was to be circumcised. Now, there's several ceremonies that take place that Dr. Luke is going to tell you about. There's the ceremony of circumcision, of purification, and presentation. And there's another ceremony that is not mentioned that was usually done as well. And it has significance in that it was not mentioned. So let's take them in order. His circumcision. We all know what that is. That's cutting off the flesh. Well, if Dr. Luke is trying to prove to you that Jesus came to the earth in flesh, wouldn't you have to be flesh to have a circumcision? So he says, so he did circumcision. So the circumcision would take place. There would be another blessing. A glass of wine would be shared. And it would be a very joyous situation. Where did Jesus have this done? It wasn't at his home. It was in Jerusalem. So he wasn't surrounded by friends. He had a few family members there. But it wasn't like John the Baptist, when he was circumcised, had a lot of family. And it says, and the name was given by an angel before he was conceived. Now he's going to drive home the point even harder. If you didn't get it that he was circumcised in the flesh, where was he conceived? In the womb. So what did Jesus have to do? It goes back to Genesis 17:11, And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Why did you have to do that? And it shall be a sign of the covenant. Sign of the covenant between you and God. You're identifying yourself as being a person who believes in the one and the true God. But it came with a price. Galatians 5.3, And I testify every man who receives circumcision 
he is under the obligation to keep the whole law. In the 4,000 years before this that they were doing circumcisions, had any man ever kept the whole law? No. In the 2,000 years since, has any man kept the whole law? No. So circumcision was a sign of the covenant to the Jews, but as as Christians, we look at the one man who was able to keep the law. We say the only reason why he was able to keep it was because he was God. And so that's a sign for us. One of my favorite sayings about circumcision comes from Samuel. And do you remember when David was about to slay the giant and he shows up and nobody was willing to go out and fight him? And so David shows up and says, why are you afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine? It wasn't that there were two groups of Philistines. This group of Philistines is circumcised and this one isn't. They were all uncircumcised. He was saying, why are you afraid of somebody that doesn't have the covenant of Israel? Why are you afraid of that person? You shouldn't be, because we have God on our side. And when the days for their purification, now look at the word there. It isn't Mary's purification. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, was complete, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. There's the purification, there's the presentation. What's purification? Purification is a symbol of your holiness, that you're set apart for God. And so in Leviticus, it has a series of purifications that people would go about. Now, this idea of purification or getting yourself right with God should not be a new idea to you. When we have communion, Pastor Ben will get up and say, you know, if there's something not right between you and your brother, you need to fix that. You need to get pure in your mind. You need to work that out. If something's not right between you and your God, you need to work that out before you take of the symbolic act. And so we practice purification, not in the way the Jews do, but we should be doing it every time we take communion. Now, there's several different ways that you could go about purification. Sometimes it was just a matter of spending a certain amount of time to think and reflect on what God and what God has done for you. Sometimes it required water. This is a mikvah uh, well in which would be filled up with water. And a woman after her menstrual cycle, seven days later, would go down into this water and then come up ritually pure. And then sometimes it required sacrifices. Now, purification was not an atonement. Atonement is when you sin and you need to pay for your sin. Having a baby wasn't sinful. Having a baby was a natural, but still you wanted to renew your mind and get everything right with God. And we'll see later on how they went to the temple and they offered a sacrifice. Now, Dr. Luke again, why, do you, why did Mary need to be purified? Because she had a baby. If God just came to her and said, Mary, I'm going to give you a baby, stretch out your hands, boom, the baby was there. Would Mary have to be purified? No, because she never had a baby. But the fact that Luke is saying this woman went through purification is, again is a testimony that it is God in flesh. And this has to do with the firstborn in Luke 2.23. As it is written in the law, every firstborn male, that was Jesus, right? He was firstborn. 
that opens the womb. Again, he's trying to tell you Jesus was born through Mary's womb, shall be called holy unto the Lord. Now, there's t- now to remember that the firstborn was very important. Remember with the Exodus when Jesus, excuse me, when the Jews left Egypt, the last plague was Pharaoh was told, unless he lets the people go, every firstborn son will be killed and every firstborn of the cattle in the field. So firstborns hold a very special position. Now, holy can refer to the person. The person is holy or the characteristics of the person is holy. And when this holy is said, it's the person. So Jesus is holy. Jesus being the firstborn, Jesus is set apart from the other persons. And this is another ritual that didn't take place. And it's the, it's redemption. The firstborn male, even then back to the times of the patriarchs, was considered the mediator. But here the firstborn males had a duty to serve in the temple. But if you didn't want to serve in the temple, the parents could pay five shekels and then you'd be freed from that obligation of serving in the temple. Nowhere does it ever say that Mary's parents ever paid the five shekels. So that means that Jesus was still in service to the temple. If you listen to Ben's message last night, he talked about Jesus being perfect in the order of Melchizedek. He becomes our high priest. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So no redemption, no buying him back from the temple, and now we have a high priest forever. And to offer a sacrifice according to what has been said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The usual sacrifice when you brought somebody, a newborn to the temple, was a lamb and a turtle dove. An exemption was made that if you were poor, they would take two pigeons. So this shows that at the time, Mary and Joseph were still quite poor. So if you still believe that the wise men visited Jesus on his birth, then they would have had a lot of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they could have bought a lamb. But they chose, they didn't have a choice. They had to bring the two turtle doves because they didn't have the money. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, now the darkened words I put in to draw your attention to it. Simeon means hearken or to listen to. So Simeon was listening to the Holy Spirit And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, Dr. Luke is now going to give us two witnesses to Jesus being in flesh. And first, he has to establish the credibility of these witnesses. So, there are three essential qualities qualities of the Old Testament man. He had to be righteous and devout, which Simeon was. He had to be looking for the Messiah, the consolation, console us with this person. Consolation of Israel, that's the Messiah. And the Spirit of God was upon him. In Old Testament times, they felt the Holy Spirit came upon a person and rested on him for a short period of time and then would leave. Today, as Christians, we feel that the Holy Spirit indwells in us. And so the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit told Simeon two things. Told him he wouldn't see death, and it also, he prophesied about Mary, what would happen to Mary. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit told him, Simeon, you go to the temple today. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out the custom of the law, again, the presentation of the flesh to the priests, and then he took him into his arms and he blessed God. Blessed here means praised. He praised God. Now, can you imagine this? We don't know exactly how old Simeon was. We think he was old because he spent a lot of time at the temple. And he said when he saw Jesus, okay, I can die now. But we don't know his age. When we get to Anna, we know her age. It says she was 84. But we don't know Simeon. And can you imagine him waiting all this time and he gets to hold the Messiah in flesh? I can just imagine, and I can only imagine, what it's like for a people group to go 6,000 years waiting for a Messiah. Remember, it was promised to Eve in the garden that she was going to have somebody that would bruise the devil. She probably thought that was one of her sons that gave birth to her, but they had to wait 4,000 years. Can you imagine belonging in that people group and finally you're the person that gets to hold the Messiah? Imagine what that would feel like. I can't. But I can imagine, because I belong to a people group that's waited 2,000 years, and we've waited 2,000 years for the second coming of Christ. And I can just imagine when Christ comes again, and we get to hold him, we get to hug him, I think we're going to experience somewhat the feeling that Simeon and Anna felt when they got to hold it. And I look at this picture, and I think, Mary's there saying, okay, Simeon, give me the baby back. Come on, come on. He goes, no, not done. And I can imagine just when the second coming of Christ, that when my wife finds Jesus and she gets to hug him, she's, she's not going to let go. He's going to have to have an army to get her arms off him. And this is Simeon's response, and it's called the Song of Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I've seen it. I can die. I'm happy with this. According to your word, there's two words in the Greek for word. One is the listened word, and one is the written word. This is the spoken word. So he's saying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so I could audibly hear him. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Your eyes see the flesh. Your eyes don't see the wind. They see flesh. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus means God saves seeing your salvation. Now, more bold words coming up, spoiler alert, that you have prepared in the presence of some people, a few people, all people, and a light of revelation to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people in Israel. A lot of believe the second to last verse is referring to the first coming. Jesus was a light for revelation to the Gentiles. If you were here for the... Christmas Eve service, what'd you do? You lit candles, right? Those candles went throughout the entire room. That was the light of revelation of Christ that you were symbolically representing. And the, ne and the last line, that represents the second coming of Christ. And at his second coming, he'll be a glory to the people of Israel. Luke 2:33. and his father and mother were amazed. Why were they amazed? 
they were already told by the angel that this, this child they were going to have were going to save the sins of the people. What amazed them? I think it's what we just read. They probably thought, like in Matthew one twenty one, the angel is speaking to Joseph. She, referring to Mary, will bear a son, that's Jesus, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. Who did Joseph think his people was? The Jews. He wasn't thinking that this is going to be all people because the, the Gentiles were fodder for the fires of hell. And so when Simeon was doing his prophesizing, and he said, Jesus is coming for all people. I think that's what they were amazed about. That really, that really took him back for a second. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, again, this is the prophecy, the second part. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign of the opposed. Mary, there are going to be some people that believe in Jesus, that are going to accept him. There are going to be some people that are going to turn his back on Jesus. This is what it's going to be. Everybody isn't going to be happy, okay? He's going to meet a lot of opposition. Matthew 10, 34 Jesus talking, do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus knew that when he showed up with his message, it would cause division among people. And this is where the division is going to take place. Does Jesus want the division? Of course not. But he realized that it was going to happen. And remember, this is Simeon's message to Mary, not to Mary and Joseph, to Mary. And he tells Mary, and a sword, this is the big long battle sword that you'd have to carry on your shoulder. It was used for crushing armor and piercing armor. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Talk about going from very high to very low. But having given birth to the Messiah to now knowing that this battle sword is going to crush your soul. To the end, for what purpose? Why is Jesus coming? And to that end, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So what purpose did Jesus come? For what purpose did God come in flesh? And what did Jesus hope to accomplish by his coming? The best place I've found to answer this is a sermon by Alistair Begg. And he has three points. Point one, sent. Number two, stuck. Number three, saved. And I'll give you the Reader's Digest convinced version of this. Jesus was sent. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of he who sent me. So the first reason, he came because he was sent. And then when, and the second is stuck. Now it wasn't that Jesus was stuck, it was that we were stuck. James 1, 15, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I love the metaphor with us in our life. Conceive, birth, death. Sin is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and it results in death. So we were stuck in this. You know, Ben talked about it on uh, yesterday evening, about the terrible kings that Israel had and how they had turned to idolatry. And nothing was getting better. We were stuck in our sin. That's the second reason why Jesus came. And then he also came to save. Romans 5, 6, For we were still helpless at the right time, bold words, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
So I look at the second coming of Christ and I wonder why is it taking so long? You know, we have adults teaching children that they're not supposed to be happy with their sexual identity. We have other adults sexually mutilating their bodies. You know, I just say, God, this, this can't go on. Why do you wait? But you know, when the second coming of Christ does come, I think it all make, makes sense. And then I'll look back and I'll say, just as these people had waited 4,000 years for the coming Messiah, and they said, yeah, that was the right time. If we're still alive and we see the second coming of Christ, we're going to say, yeah, that was the right time. And that brings us to the last person, and this is Anna. And she was a female prophet from the tribe of Asher. Uh, Anna means grace. And so she was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years. So she got married and was with her husband seven years before he died. And then as a widow at the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. Did Anna have a right to be bitter in a worldly view? I, whoever said, sure, thank you. That's how I feel from a human perspective. She only had a husband for seven years, never remarried. Nobody would marry her. Didn't have any children. We know that because she spent all her time in the temple. If she had children, she would have to spend time doing chores for them. So she was childless and without a husband. She had a right to be bitter, but she chose not to. She chose to spend her time going to the temple and fasting and in prayer. Luke 2.38, and at that very moment, he's talking about when Jesus came for his presentation at the temple. She was there with Simeon. At that very moment, she came up and began to give thanks to God and continued to speak of him, all those who were looking, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I put giving thanks and speak in red. That's because the verb tense, the verb tense is there isn't that she did it once or a few times. The verb tense is that she continually gave thanks to God. This woman that had every reason to be bitter, she gave thanks to God and she spoke of Jesus to anyone that would listen. And I think that should be our feeling when we come with God. Now the conclusion. And the conclusion is best if it's just a single sentence or just a few words. And so I borrowed the conclusion from somebody else. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. So let's break that down. The Son of God, who's that? Jesus, right? It says, became a man, was God incarnate, took on flesh. How do we know that? He was circumcised. His mother went through purification. He was presented at the temple. We have witnesses. Two of them are Simeon and Anna. So we know that he became a man, and he also agreed to take on all of the burdens of keeping the law. And he did that perfectly to prove to us that he was not only man, but he was God. And why did he come? He came to enable men because we were stuck in that sin and we had no way of getting out. So he was enabling men by dying on the cross. See, what you have to remember is that the Old Testament 
pointed to the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ pointed to the death of Christ on the cross. The death of Christ on the cross pointed to his resurrection, and the resurrection points to him returning. So it enabled men to become the sons of God's. We are justified. We are set right because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And we look forward to being adopted into his family of the restoration of what was in the Garden of Eden that we never know. And so this is what I think C.S. Lewis was saying in just those few short words. So next time, next year, when you're looking through Christmas cards, and you're trying to figure out what little cute saying you want to say in the center of it, you can say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Absolutely true, true statement. You can say, wise men still seek him. Theologically sound. It's a good saying. But you might want to just think about Think about this saying when you think about Christmas and Christmas cards. You might want to think that the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. All right, why don't you go ahead and stand up and we'll have the worship team come back up. And I think they have some more worshiping you can do. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for coming and being with us in the flesh. We just, uh, there's abundant evidence that that took place. We know that you're not like the Roman gods that don't care about us, but you just wish us the best. You wish us to take us out of the sin that we're stuck in. Uh, We just pray that you being in the flesh will never be words, but always be a relationship that we can have with you. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.